Hey, yo, internets, you are tuned into the Combat Jack Show, thecombatjackshow.com. Yeah. Yo, what's up, Premium What's going Pete? on, Combat? Man, listen, I want to talk to the listeners out there, internets, you have been fucking with us so heavy, so heavy, so heavy that I want to make sure that the support that you've been giving us counts. Please go to iTunes, rate, subscribe, comment mm. on the Combat Jack Show page. We need that. iTunes has been so gracious to us with regard to the real estate that they give us and with regard to the reach that they give us. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't continue to rate, subscribe, and comment. And tell a friend. Tell, tell a, a friend, friend to tell a friend. And also, I want to give, I, we, we're not in a hobby or the habit of giving out shout outs and the whole night, but I want to give our friends over at the Breakfast Club yes. a shout out, man. You know, DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the Guard, we were on their show last week, and it was such a great look. It felt so comfortable. You, you was turned up, man. Yeah, man, and cats are snapping that, that you weren't talking enough, Pete. Well, what's up? Were you intimidated by nah, being on the Breakfast Club? I mean, well, first of all, you were turned to fuck up. Yes, I was. And and I was like, yo, let you live. Like, let you, you know, I mean, and at the end of the day, I'm a person that's like, yo, the Combat Jack Show is me. Yes. I'm part of the fucking Combat Jack Show. We're going to win as a brand. And and you know what? They didn't have like any questions really designed for me. They had all that lawyer questions for you. Right. And to be honest with you, I'm like, again, I'm going back to we're a whole, man, and we're a team. And, and, and you were turned up. And Internet, felt, man. Right? Stop snapping on my man, Premium Pete. He holds us down. Premium, though, the first time that Angela was on the show, yeah. Were you on the show then? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You were a little kind of intimidated then. No, 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 no. that was because the... she came in there smelling good. No, her she legs did. was she out. She was smelling good. She was. Her smelling legs good. was out, and it was the first time we had a female. This was like three years ago. The first time Angela, the, the, the time Angela Yee was on the show, she, I think she was one of our first females. Matt Raz actually uh, got I, I, nervous. He was, like, I, 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 he yeah, was yeah, doing yeah. the news and he fucking stuttered that stuttering prep. Yeah, but once yeah. again, man, shout outs to. Um, the Breakfast Club, man. I really appreciate that. That was a great look. I also want to shout out our friends at Hot 97. Ebro. Cheer. Ebro, listen, man. I know Ebro called me this week personally, he and he what was he talking, talking greasy. What? And I was like, yo, Ebro, man, just leave, like, just for one moment. Because every time we've gone to Hot 97, because we've, we've interviewed Ebro twice. That's correct. Every time we've gone over there, we've had to go over there. So I was like, yo, let's, listen, Ebro, let's meet in a neutral spot. Let's talk. And he was like, no, my G, come the King's Landing. <laughs> and he was giving me all of this Game of Thrones talk. And listen, Ebro, listen, man, I'm, you know, we, we talk the talk about, you know, what goes on in radio right now. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not going about all this. I, you, you guys are going to run the business the way you want to run your business. But my only issue with you, man, is, is y'all really got to fall back with Chuck D. Mm. You know, if we're talking about culture, if we're talking about what's important and what's of value, you can't be dissing Chuck D. I don't give a fuck if Chuck D was cracked out and on his flavor flave mm. and showing his ass or whatever the fuck. You can't diss that man. He, his contributions to this game is unparalleled. You can't be asking that man what he's contributed to recently with this culture. You can't be asking, telling that man that he's irrelevant. You can't be saying he's a troll because when you diss Chuck D, like, Ebro, you know this, man. You've been in this game for such a long time. When you diss someone like a Chuck D, you actually diss your audience because he means so much to the culture. And when you diss, you're, you're dissing me because that man means so much in terms of what he inspired me to do. This is one of those battles, dude, that you can't win. You could do all the other shit you do. You could troll. You could do all the, whatever the fuck you want to do, but you cannot Win this battle, man. Show some humility with this, man. Because you cannot win this battle. You're not sounding like King's Landing right now. It's not a diss, but you actually sounding like 
King Joffrey right now, B. Like, you cannot win this battle. You know I'm not coming at you. You know this is not malicious. I'm not firing shots. But you cannot win this. Be fall back, man. Like, like fall back. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to our guest, man. Like, this has been so hot this, this, this past week. Damon Dash was up in here. Yes, sir. Firing shots, calling out names. And this individual that's on the show today was one of those individuals that Damon was calling out. Mm-hmm. And, and and I feel so honored. First of all, I, I feel so honored that Dame called us and used, uh, used this platform Absolutely. to air out his grievances. Because when I spoke to Dame off air, I was like, why are you coming on the Combat Jack show? And he said, because you guys are independent. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. That meant a lot to me. Um, afterwards, I got uh, this individual reached out to me and he said, you know what? I don't necessarily have to speak out. I don't have to come to my defense, but I really respect your platform. Mm-hmm. I really respect your platform and I see what you guys are doing. And if I were to explain myself or come on the show or even have an interview this would be the platform to do it so i welcome to the combat jack show the president of urban music at interscope joey manda aka joey ie yeah thanks for having me guys what's up joey feels good to be here now nah, it feels good that you're here man yeah it's hot out there huh am i well we'll get to that in a second am i supposed to call you jack or reggie or? <laughs> you know what? what what do i say you know like dallas penn who used to be on the show used to say that in the hall, the, the Justice League, the halls of justice, <laughs> you don't call anybody by their civilian. I don't go by that. Whatever makes you feel comfortable, B. All right, so you, pick you got one. your cape on now, your combat, and, and if I, 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 see, mean, I, mean, if I, I see you in Brooklyn, you're, you're, you're Reggie? Call me whatever the fuck you want to. Just okay. don't call me shithead, man. How All you right. feeling, man? I feel good, man. Good, man. I feel good. The climate is hot out there, man. Yeah, yeah. Are yeah. you accustomed to being... So much in the limelight in the way that it is right now? No, no, not at all. I mean, I am I work behind the scenes. You know, I, I bring other people into the limelight. It's never uh, it's never comfortable comfortable to me uh, to talk about myself or, you know, do an interview. You know, that that's not that's not natural to me. That's not what I do. Now, I've I've scoured the Internet to, to really get some background on you. And there's not much out there. Yeah, but what I found out there was pretty imp- pretty impressive, man. You you came from Brooklyn, right? You grew up in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about your household, man. Uh, well, I I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I grew up. I was raised by my mom. My mom was my mom and dad. Um, she had me when she was seventeen. Wow. Um, she got pregnant when she was sixteen. I was born when she was seventeen. Uh, she worked. You know, always two jobs, uh, you know, at a time to support us. And, you know, she she did. Uh, I think she did an incredible job. How many siblings did you have? I'm an only child. OK. Yeah, it was just me and her. Right. Now, what was your vision? What was your dream in terms of like when you grew up? What did you want to do? Man? I mean, I, I had a bunch of things I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to be uh, a DJ. I wanted to be uh, a rapper. I wanted to be um, a gangster. Yeah, yeah. At times, why? At like, times, like, like, why gangster? Um, I think you know. I think, and not to get too deep with this, but I think when you, when you when you're a, a boy and you, and you grow up without a dad, um, gangsters are, are macho, and gangsters are are you know personify you know toughness and and and. Confidence and, 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 and confidence right. and and manliness. So I think that's why a lot of kids gravitate to it. Were there a lot of gangsters in your neighborhood, man? Yeah, a lot of fake gangsters, a lot of real gangsters. You know, yeah, uh, like any neighborhood. What neighborhood was this? Uh, I grew up on Kings Highway in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. And where'd you go to school? 
I went to Lafayette High School. Unfortunately, I didn't finish, but I got my GED. Unfortunately? Yeah. For a man that's so accomplished, man, I think it's, I think it's a great, I mean, I don't want to encourage kids to drop out of school, but I think it's always a great story when someone doesn't finish education. And they, they go on to accomplish so much. Mm-hmm. And like, now, Pete, you went to Lafayette. That's correct. Did I, you, I got did, a GED too, but I'm not that successful yet. <laughs> but I'm proud of I'm proud of Joey because it's funny. I want to go into this right before you even go into your 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 um, great movement that combat's going to bring you through. But um, you know how I knew Joey was. Um, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Coney Island, and I moved to uh, by Bay 50 at Bath Avenue, and um, I came across him a couple times. I don't think we knew each other. We knew of the same people. How I knew him is I used to see him on throw-ups on the train of uh, the, what was it, the B train at the time? Like yeah. on all the wall. used to see I, and he used the to be B, Gen, The yeah. B, the N, the, yeah, the D, N, the yeah. F. It used to be uh, this kid Jens and IE, and like he, they, they used to do some dope throw-ups, Wait, man. wait, wait. So you were a graffiti artist? I was a graffiti artist, yeah. And Not an artist, a graffiti writer. A graffiti writer. Yeah. Wait, it was about tagging for me. Not the colorful. I know when people think of graffiti, they think of, you know... Um, colorful burners and pieces and stuff. I was more about getting my name out. I wanted to be famous. Yo, before you leave, you gotta get, you gotta leave us a tag, man. It's gonna be terrible, That's but all I'll right. do it. That's it's gonna right. be awful. Now, were you all city? Yeah, yeah. Every winter, you were all city <laughs> yeah, every winter. Yeah, of course, yeah. So you were really you really live that life, man. Yeah. Videograph. Yeah. Did you used to get chased by the cops in the whole night? Yeah, yeah. Chase caught. You got caught. How yeah. many how many times did you get caught, man? Uh, at least ten. Right. At least 10. And you, did your mom have to come and bail you out? She had to come get me once. Right. Um, I was real young. I forgot. I don't know exactly how old. Maybe 15. I'm, I'm just guessing, though. Um, she had to come once, yeah. Was she worried, man? You know, raising a kid on her own. Yeah, she And was you worried. being exposed to, like, you know, negative influences or what she thought was negative influences. Yeah, she, like, was, she was worried. But, you know, she she did the best, um, the best she could. And she tried to bring... Um, positive influences around i was in the um the big brother um program okay i don't know if you're familiar with yeah, that I am, I am. um for a little while and you know i always i always rebelled against that because i was like you know this guy's not my dad and all that you know but uh she 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 did you know she tried and she she definitely 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 was cognizant of where we were and and you know what the mindset was and how i was growing up and uh she did everything she could to make sure that i uh you know that i wasn't a fuck up right now you were telling me in the but, oh, but I was a fuck up for a while. You were a fuck up. Yeah, absolutely. Like how so? Well, I I dropped out of school. Um, what grade? I wrote Eleven. Why'd you drop out, man? Um, I wanted I, I wanted nice I, I wanted um I wanted money. I didn't think school was gonna take me anywhere. I wasn't that good at it. Um, I I I wanted to be out at night. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to go to school in the morning. There was I didn't think I was getting anything out of it. Right. So how were you making money? Uh, I would do, you know, I, I did a bunch of jobs. I did a bunch of jobs. I worked in Kings Plaza. I uh, what store, man? It was a it was a woman's clothing store called Learners. I was okay. a stock. <laughs> so you met a lot of chicks in there, or what? A lot of older chicks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Milfs. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. Now you were telling me in the elevator on 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 our ride up, man, that you just recently met your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to talk about on the Combat Jack show. But I um, if you're going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, might as well. I I told you, ask me anything you want to ask me. I'm cool. I uh, yeah, I I think when when I was, you know, I obviously don't remember too much from being a baby, but I think he he might have I might have met him once or twice. But I obviously don't remember that. But I sought him out a few years ago and and met him. How was that, man? 
you know, it was it was it was deep. You know, it was heavy as you can imagine. Right. You know, it was it was. But you know, you have a lot of questions. You know. And was he proud of you? What was his what is what was his reaction to all of the things that you had accomplished? He w- he was um well forget about who who I was. Right. He had a lot of stuff he was trying to get off his chest. He was very apologetic. Yeah, we actually met in Central Park. I I called him and he hung up on me, so I wrote him a letter. He knew it was you or did he think it was a prank? He knew it was me, he was just overwhelmed. Right. And then I wrote him a letter. He lives uh he lives here in the city. Wow. And, you know, I mean, it's crazy. I didn't know where in the world he was. They could have told me he was in Alaska. Right. And he had, they were like, no, he lives in in the city. (laughs) And I was like, wow. He actually, his office building was two blocks from my office building in, uh, in, in, in the city. It was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Now, do you guys still talk? Uh, Occasionally on email. Right. Yeah. Going to do anything for uh, Father's Day? Nah, nah. This will be my, my first Father's Day as a father. Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations. Um, Let's get into the music scene, man. So you got inspired to also be a DJ. Yes. How? Um, I had friends that were DJs um, and I just, I, I just wanted to get close to the music. Like, you know, I just, you know, Great Adventures of Slick Rick was and probably still is the most important album to me. Mm. I was 14 when that album came out. Um, and that, I just, you know, him and Kane and the Beastie Boys, you know, I was a little younger when that came out. and But that was, you know, that was obviously huge in, in Brooklyn. And um, I just, I just sought it out. It's just what it was. Like, you know. It almost didn't seek you out as much as it pulled you in it's just what it was it pulled you in yeah man. yeah there wasn't everyone it wasn't like you know um every that everyone everyone listened to slick rick and kane and you know and poor righteous teachers and, mm. and, and you know and all that every, that's that's what everyone listened to everyone everyone watched video music box you would see um you know large professor wear somebody something on video music box and then you'd see a bunch of kids in school with yep. it you know a week or two later when they could get it and, you know, that's just what it was, right. you know? So you started DJing. Yeah. Did, where were you DJing? Publicly? What were you doing? No. Nah, well, the, fir- uh, the first thing on milk crates, you know, in my in my apartment, um, you know, in my mom's apartment, and, you know, practicing a lot, practicing a lot. I, you know, before that, I was into um, into bikes, bicycles. Okay. But my, um, but my bicycle had gotten stolen. Right. And, um, I, you know, I was careless, and it, and it got stolen, and... You know, my mom wasn't going to work hard to, you know, she, she to wasn't replace that. She wasn't going to, you know, spend six months trying to replace that. So right. she was like, yeah, you learned a good lesson. OK. And then uh, I got turntables. I didn't get Technique 1200s at first. I got um, some some, you know, uh, I forget what they call them now. It's been a long time. But the the kind that, that don't work like that. Right. I think that they're, they're uh, automatic or whatever the, the thing is. And I started with those and then I saved up, you know, for a while. I think it was a. Uh, a whole summer, which felt like an eternity at the time, and I got some used twelve hundreds, um, which were e- which were easier to get back then than right. they are now. And uh, I just used to, you know, any I would borrow vinyl. People, uh, I would beg for vinyl. I would buy vinyl. I would do whatever to get records. Right. Um, and I would just practice. And, and then eventually, when when did you start performing publicly? Uh, not for a while because I, I you know, I didn't. It wasn't, I wasn't making, ta- I would, I would like make cassettes right. 
but not do anything with them. Like I was, ne- I never became like I don't have a story where I'm like Clue or Envy, and I came out the and first my tapes, time I rocked the my crowd. tapes were popping in my neighborhood, <laughs> right. and and I had the I didn't have the cue moment in Juice. That okay. didn't happen for me. <laughs> and it was, what were you? Were you DJ IE or? No, I never had a DJ you name. Nah, <laughs> nah, nah. So you never made it really as a nah, DJ. nah. Never made it. I was pretty good though. I was slept on. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get I didn't get my shot. And then eventually you started promoting parties. How did that? Yeah, happen? um, um, a friend, uh, a friend from my neighborhood, um, named Chris. He was a party promoter, okay. and he was like, you know, I obviously, um, obviously didn't have much money. And he was like, do you want to give out flyers for me? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, you write your name on a flyer and you give it out, and anyone that uses it to get into the party i'll give you uh two bucks for or whatever it was so i would hustle and go around where i knew girls were and you know people that went to parties and i would give these flyers out um and then he you know basically i was really good at it and you know we became close friends so i would eventually start throwing the parties with him right um but i spent a lot of time standing on street corners giving out flyers right now now what makes you good what makes somebody good at handing out street flies like what what makes you good <laughs> now there's no talent to it it's right. it's just <laughs> it's just um standing there and doing it and and what makes you good at getting people to go to those parties like what was your thing now nah, the parties were good okay the parties the were parties good. Were good. i just knew where to do you know right and it, you know it's a hustle if you know people are going to the party anyway maybe maybe you're in the parking lot before they get into the party and you give it to them there and no. you're like hey you could save a few dollars if you're going with this you know you should use this so so eventually you guys started throwing your own parties. Yeah. And that led you to In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Yeah. And then uh then we got a chance. Well really Chris got a chance. I was really, you know, working for him. Right. We we weren't partners or anything. Chris Reader, you're talking about. Chris Reader, yeah. yeah. And then he uh he got hired by a, ga- a guy named uh Peter Gation. The who, Peter Gation. The Peter Gation who uh who owned the Palladium Limelight. Uh Palladium Nightclub Limelight Club USA right. and the Tunnel right. here in the city. And he was, you know, a larger than life guy. And he had these clubs and everybody wanted to be at these clubs. And I was, uh, when Chris started working for him, I was, I was 19. Wow. So, you know, I wasn't old enough to drink yet, um, you know, legally or whatever. Um, and then, you know, I started helping Chris, uh, throw parties at the Palladium. Wow. Now what kind of parties were these? Uh, they, they, they were bridge and tunnel parties, meaning, People from Brooklyn, people from Queens, people from New Jersey. They weren't they weren't the coolest. I found that later. I didn't even know at the time, but they weren't the coolest parties in the right. world. They weren't like the downtown scene where like you know Dante Ross was hanging out. Right. And because those know. parties would happen on any other night except for Friday mm, yeah. or Saturday, and we were strictly Fridays and Saturdays, <laughs> <laughs> Bridge and Tunnel night. I didn't know the clubs existed on Monday to Thursday, right, or Sunday to Thursday. But I didn't but, know. but but how was that life for you, man? At nineteen, you're you're, you're part of it like, was amazing. You know, you want to date girls, you want to be around music. You know, every once in a while, you would see uh you know uh, um a rapper, you know, or or a big DJ, you know, and that that's how I met. I, I first met Flex. Um, at the Palladium. Now, who's your first celebrity you ever met, if you can remember? I'm not really sure. I remember seeing, um, I remember seeing, I think, I don't remember if it was Scoob or Scrap at Albee Square Mall. Okay. I don't remember who it was, but I was like, I was I was geeked. You know, I want to go back. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that, because I read somewhere that you were so um, inspired back then by Biz Marquis that you actually made a pilgrimage 
to Albee Square Mall? Yeah, I used to go all the time. Really? So you used to hang out? Yeah. Where, where at the where at the uh, Shirt Kings? Or? I mean, yeah, you know, I couldn't get. I wasn't buying the the four finger rings or anything. I wasn't I wasn't built like that. Right. <laughs> but I would just walk around and just. Did you build with anybody? Did you make friends? Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would talk to people. I would make friends. You see, some people when you go back, you know, I try to talk to girls. You know, how, how fucked up is it, man? That, that like, for example, I have I have teenagers, and we live in we still live in Brooklyn, and it's 2014, and when they hear the song "I'll Be Square Mall," they don't know he, what it means. They don't know what the fuck it means, even though we yeah. drive by. How ill is that, man? It's crazy. It's crazy. Fulton Street was the shit, man. Fulton Street was the shit. <laughs> it's man. crazy. So so, how'd you meet Flex? Um, I met him at the Palladium. I met Jessica Rosenblum. Okay. Um, I met Flex, and you know, Flex. We did. Flex had a, a party on Friday nights at the Palladium called Flex's House, mm-hmm. and um, and I was involved with Saturday nights at the Palladium, and I used to go see him spin on Fridays because I could get him for free. I'm like, yo, I work here on Saturday. You know, I would like you know hustle right. in perks of the perks of the business. Yeah, you get in for free, so I would you know I would take the train. I would go over there on uh, on Saturday, on Fridays and see him spin. And uh, I don't remember exactly how we started talking, but, you know, he acknowledged me, which was incredible. Right. You know. And he was still on the come up. Yeah. He, w- he was on 10 to 12 on on Hot 97 at okay. that time. Right. He wasn't on at 7 yet. I mean, he was he was the he was one of the most important DJs, you know, in the world at that right. time already. He wasn't, you know. OK. So how did you start working with him? Um, he I said I said, you need to come here on Saturdays when when I'm one of the promoters and spin. And, um, you know, for, for the Saturday night party. And he was like, he was like, okay, cool. And then he had me, uh, he was one day he was like, yo, you should come, you should come see me at the radio station. You should, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. Cause he would ask me about, you know, cause I, since I was a promoter, I would go to a bunch of other clubs and see what was going on. And we just build it about that. What parties were happening, um, who was doing what, what records were working. So he was asking you, basically he was curious about what was going on. Yeah. Beyond yeah. beyond where he was DJing, and, absolutely, and, yeah. And yeah, you yeah. had that, yeah, that that inside information. So you guys were building like that, absolutely. And I, you know, the, I've read conflicting like uh, pieces that said you were his manager, you were his partner. No, nah, I was never his manager. I mean, I I don't think I was ever his partner or anything. I I, I started off. Um, he came and, and spun at my party. And he did it. He did it for well below his rate at the time mm-hmm. because you know we were building our relationship, and he was you know expanding his brand. And then he said, "I don't remember exactly how it morphed into um, me carrying his records, but that's what that's wait. How you you carry? <laughs> that's what it turned into. I think he was like. I think I would just. I don't remember if he was like, oh, I'm I'm spinning so and so on Wednesday. You know, on Wednesday you should come, and then." You know, you show up somewhere and he's like, yeah, you should help me with these records. I don't remember exactly how it happened. I mean, you know, there were obviously other people that carried his records right. and stuff, but I was just like. So you were really in the trenches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when all of this came out recently, I was really trying to figure out the nature of your relationship. You- I had no, at that time in, in hip hop, I mean, I had a little bit of status um, from people that wanted to come to the club on Saturday when I was part of the party. People that wanted to get him free or whatever, right. but I didn't have any status in hip hop. I didn't, I was, you know. Whoever, like I used to get, um, I used to get intimidated by Jessica Rosenblum. Well, I thought she was, I was like, wow, she's scary. It wasn't she so scary. She was scary, but she's <laughs> she's actually, you know, one of the one. You know, she was a, a very um, 
important person, you know, mentor for me. Right. She she taught me a lot of stuff. Now, what did she, what did she like? What was your relationship with her like? Well, she also obviously was involved in the Palladium and right. the tunnel, and you know, she obviously had Mecca uh, on Sunday nights at the tunnel, and I ended up um, working on Sunday nights, you know, because Peter Gation um, owned all these clubs. And I guess, you know, people are like, well, Joey knows Flex, and he's really into hip-hop. And then Jessica really gave me a shot, though. Wow. Because Sundays were her party, and she allowed me to work there. Um, and that, you know, that that was incredible. You know, it's crazy. We recently had Jessica on the show. Yeah, I heard it. And I'm so amazed at how all of these roads lead to Jessica. Nah. And And it's also funny, because all of these years that I've known Jessica, she always was intimidating, but it wasn't until she came on the show that I was like, She's not that scary. I mean, she is scary, but she's not that scary. You know, she's tough and she's confident, but she should be. You right. know, she 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 was involved in important important events in hip hop. No one can deny that. No, no one at all. So, how did you make this transition from like the club scene to like the the, the record industry? So I was running around with Flex, carrying 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 the records, and then building your muscles because you know, some shit was heavy. Maybe man. he'd say, you know. You could pick up my envelope at the end of the night. Maybe, you know, whatever. You can go get, go tell the promoter, you know, whatever. And then uh, he, you know, he had already, Jessica, he, Jessica and him had done, uh, I think, three albums together at Loud with okay. Steve Rifkin. Right. And then he was the getting. Funk, funk Master Flex. 60 Minutes of Funk. So yeah, 60 Minutes yeah, of Funk. Yeah, volumes one, two, and three. Right. And then he was getting ready to do his first album on Def Jam uh, with Big Cap um, called The Tunnel. Right. And he said, I don't think he ever said anything, actually. I think it was just like I was there every day, and he was like, and I had already, I had not, uh, Palladium, I think, had closed, or I, I didn't work there anymore. I stopped working there in 96. Um, and I was just with, you know, around him constantly. And I don't think he ever said you can A&R this album, but it was like, who's going to stay here for 14 hours till the end of the session and carry these two-inch reels home? And that just became me. Right. So, so this was like your break. Like you, you, you became you went absolutely. This allowed me to get into the Def Jam building. I knew a lot of people that worked there from when they would come to the clubs. Right. I mean, you know, I would see uh, Russell and Lior and Kevin Lyles. You know, I never knew them. They never spoke to me. Right. But uh, the the Tunnel album allowed me to maybe be in in a meeting with them um, and be in the Def Jam building. Now, I read somewhere that you said that. When you started hanging out at the Def Jam offices, that's when this light bulb clicked in your head. And you were like, you know what? This is really what I want to do. Yeah. Talk, talk about that, yeah. when that that moment, man. Or what, what, what was it I about that environment that made you want to do this? I mean, that's where you would just see, you know, you would just see Method Man walk through the hallway and be like, that's Method Man. Right. And you would see, you know, Jay and you would see. Uh, Jam Master Jay or Jay-Z. Both. Okay. <laughs> you know, you would see DMX, you would see, <laughs> and you would feel the and not not see them like, oh my God, I'm seeing a celebrity, more see like, this is where it happens. Right. They're up here for a reason. This is this is the record label that that markets, promotes them, the, um, that, you know, this is the spot. Like, this is, this is Albee Square Mall now, like on a different level. Right. <laughs> so, so you're there, you're seeing these artists. Are you, getting an inside look in terms of the deals that are going on or you're just still kind of like on the outside? I was definitely ear hustling all throughout that building. Right. Whoever would talk to me, and it wasn't everyone, but whoever would talk to me, I would talk to and I would sit in their office. Um, and, you know, one of the one of the people that let me sit in his office the most was Todd Moskowitz. Right. 
who was um, the head of business affairs GM at the time. Yes. And, you know, and Kevin would talk to me sometimes in the hallway. Kevin Lyles. Yeah. Right. But not too, you know, but not too much. But right. he would, you know, and Lior, I don't remember ever seeing him too much. Maybe, you know, maybe a few times. Um, but I, you know, Todd would let me sit in his office because, you know, when you do a, and you know this well, when you do an album like a Flex album, there's a lot of, you have to do a lot of paperwork with all the artists. A I lot mean, of clearances. There must have been a hundred artists on that album. Right. So, you know, everyone, business affairs, you know, would always have questions. And I was the person that was in the studio every night. Ah. So then I would go to the label during the day to answer the questions because, of course, we wanted, like every album, we were on a time crunch to get the paperwork done to get the album out. See, that makes a lot of sense, man, because I remember those, I used to hate going through all that paperwork for one fucking album. And the reason why I was... I must have called you 72 times about my nature side artist Okay, I remember that. But you you took care of me. Did did I? I didn't blow you off, did I? Yeah, like ah, 72 times. I blew I, you I think, off 72. I think the 73rd time you, know you actually. It's probably because nature probably hadn't paid me yet at the time. Yeah. But, um, okay. So, but what I was going to say was, man, it, it's, it's so painful to go through that clearance process. Because when you're talking directly to your artist, your artist is not giving you all of these answers. But, like, here you are, the key, because you actually knew everybody you stayed in the studio well it was all you know it was all the whole album was off flex and and caps relationships right so i would also you know def jam would tell me yo could you tell flex to put in a call to raekwon and tell his attorney that you know we need to get this done and so you know i was the 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 go-between and i was bringing middle the whole album yeah i was the middleman exactly and i was in so i'd be in the studio every night and back then there was you know hit factory and right. sony and then I would be in the Def Jam office every day. So you, you finish the album. You turn the album in. Out, project is complete. What are you doing now? Like, what, we, what do you do after the album's done? Oh, I went on the road with him when he w- went across the country to promote it. Okay. Yeah. So how does... There was one thing, too, that, that, that now that, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, when I, was, when I used to be in that building, there was one moment that I remember when... Um, I forgot whose office I was sitting in, but uh, but Jay Z walked in the office, and he was like, he was like, "Damn, I forgot exactly what he said, but it was something like, damn, Flex got to give you a raise, man.' Because he saw how hard you were working. Because he would just see, he would just see how much I was there right. and how much you know, and then he would see me at the club or you know, no, I was at. So studio you were working twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah, no sleep. With, with basically no. Time. I know no sleep's a cliche, but it was really no. No, sleep. but back then we didn't sleep. No. Back then we didn't sleep and you had all of the you had you had all of these responsibilities but no title. No, nah, no title. He you know, he, so again, he never told me at the beginning of the project you're gonna A and R this. Right. At the end of the project he made me associate executive producer and I that was like I was like, Wow. So you saw your name on the album. Yeah. So tell us that feeling, man. It's incredible. I mean, you know. Did you show everybody that you knew? That's fucking me. I didn't show anyone because right. that's not, that. I, I don't do that. <laughs> right. I never showed anyone, you know, but I saw it and it was on vinyl and I, you know, I still have it, the vinyl. My mom has the vinyl. Yeah, so she was proud of you. Yeah, she was like, wow. <laughs> so so how do, you, how do you take this and move it into the next step? What was the next step for you, man? Um, The next step, so... The next album that we did, which was pretty close to the Tunnel album, and were you getting paid good, man? Um, I paid was getting, well. I was getting paid fair. I would have done it for free, right? Yeah, I don't. It wasn't about that. I right. mean, obviously, you should get compensated for your work, but I didn't. You know, that was an afterthought, right? Because you're doing it for the love. He, yeah, who cares? It's not. You know. Okay. 
So the what's the next album? The next album was um was on Loud, um, you know, with Steve Rifkin. Was this the Tunnel also? Or? No, it was uh, it was sixty minutes of funk. Volume okay, four. volume four. I don't remember the exact title. That's terrible, but right. no, that's but that right. but that was the next album. Um, so now you're hanging out. Now I'm in the Loud building, right? With, 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 with Rifkin and the whole with, with Steve Rifkin and everyone that worked there, and you know that they had Mob Deep and they had the Wu Tang Clan. And they had the alcoholics and they had, you know, all these people. So that was a different building I was getting exposed to. And, you know, when, you, when you're in these buildings every day, you build your relationships, right. you know. So now you're you, meet, you know the receptionist. Right. You know? So now you're hustling out of the loud offices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there a difference or? Not loud. Loud was an important company, too. Right. I mean, you, they had differences, but they were both amazing. Um, and, you know, and then Steve Rifkin um, gave me an opportunity to help out on some other stuff. What were those opportunities? Um, he was just like, you know, help me get beats, you know, come to meetings, help me, you know, uh, talk to radio about the songs. He just, you know, he, he saw something in me and he he gave me an opportunity. I met him through Flex and uh, he, you know, Steve was awesome to me. So here you are, you're running, you're basically running through walls to get your assignments done. But but are you noticing now a change? Running through happening? walls. I, I was waiting. I used to wait at the studio. I would have to wait. Like, I remember one night waiting at, at the, they had the old Hit Factory and the new Hit Factory. Right. And I remember waiting at the old Hit Factory for, I think, seven or nine hours or something for Foxy Brown. Because we, 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 were, we were mixing or mastering now, the next day, whatever it was. We really wanted her. We were chasing her for months. And, I, you know, they, I wasn't going to leave that studio. Right. Like, you know, the engineer was looking at me, the the studio manager came in, like, yo, is she is she coming? You know, sometimes she doesn't show up, you right. know. They would give me that hint, like, don't play yourself and sit here all day. And, you know, I would have I would I would have sat there for a hundred hours. Right. So so at what point do you get an official title, man? Like uh, at, at what point? Like you you're doing all these records. What do you mean official title? Like at what point do you get hired by one of these labels? As an executive, at in two thousand four, uh, when Lior Cohen left uh, Island Def Jam, well, you, you were still running growth. around with Flex. Still running around with Flex. Right. Uh, I was also trying to manage uh, some producers. I had uh, an artist. Which a few producers? Artists. Which producers? Which artists? Um, I had an artist named Bristow. Okay, I that remember was, that. That I was that. Um, affiliated with Junior Mafia from right. Brooklyn. I got him signed to to Universal to okay. Motown at the time. Um, I uh, so 2004, Lior Cohen leaves Island Def Jam. He goes to Warner Music Group with Edgar Brofman. Right. They take over Warner Music Group. Um, Lior Cohen hires Todd Moskowitz, who I knew from from Def, Def Jam, Jam. Uh, to revive. Um, David David Geffen had a company called Asylum, which Warner Music Group owned the name and the company. And Lior hired Todd to revive to to uh, restart the company. As a place for entrepreneurs to bring to bring their companies to, um, he wanted to have the next cash money, uh, you know. And, and he said, "We need a place for for entrepreneurs and labels. Like, I want to have the next Rough Riders, the next Rockefeller, the next Murder Inc., um, the next Rap a Lot, the next, you know, all those companies." And Todd hired me to do uh, to basically be his right hand and A and R person. Okay, so so Asylum was basically an incubator. Exactly. It was actually called Incubator before they decided to use that name, yeah. Okay. And, and you know, I would say that in 2004, the industry had changed. Yeah. From when you first entered into it because 
you know, back in the 90s, you would sign artists. I mean, of course, you had production companies and you had labels, but, you know, we were still in the process of signing artists. In 2004, it changed where it was like, we don't really have that time to raise the artists. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it was also a, the, it was also a time where, where um, rap music was becoming, um, was more regional than it had been. Right. It used to always start in New York or Atlanta. Yes. All the record companies were in New York and Atlanta, so it seemed like mostly uh, uh, and New York Coast. and L.A. I'm right, sorry, New right. York and L.A. Right. And obviously Atlanta had a, 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 you know, has a long history. But, um, you know, you'd see records coming out of Houston or records coming out of New Orleans and records, you know, coming out of different places in the country. Um, so we, w- when we started a sound, that was a big part of it, too. Like, you know, calling, there was still retail at the time, you know. So indie retail, you'd call local record stores. You know, what are people coming in there buying? Oh, they're coming in and buying Little Boosie. Right. You know, people love Swisher House. They love uh, Paul Wall. Mike Jones. Mike Jones, exactly. Mike so, Jones. So when you were at Asylum, Basically, you kind of ushered in like the whole Mike Jones, Paul Wall, uh, chopped and screwed. We did the Swisher House deal, right? Um, which was Mike Jones and Paul Wall. Um, they both had tremendous success. Um, it was great. You know, we did a deal uh, with Rap a lot, and uh, you know, we put out uh, Bun B's album. We put out you know some Scarface records, a Ghetto Boys album. Now, as a New York cat and somebody who has train New York ears. Do you have to retrain your ears to get accustomed to this other type of music that we didn't grow up on? I, when I first heard um, Still Tipping, I got it. I was like, Well, yo. Still Tipping was undeniable. I was like, yo, that's fucking dope. Did I know the most about Chopping Screwed? Right. No, but you educate yourself. You know, because I was going down to Houston, you know, three times a month. So, I, you know, I, 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 would, I would learn about, you know... Uh, what was going? I learned about Michael Watts and what Chopped and Screwed was, and mm. what the differences are, and you know how different DJs do it. What was the thing that stood out to you most in terms of like the difference between, you know, East Coast music and Southern music? Um, I think it, I think it's the same in a lot of ways. It's different in some ways. I mean, the slang is obviously different. Probably the the beats that people choose, but you know, I mean, it's it's all it's all hip hop. So the music industry changes, the the landscape changes, the sound changes, you know, and you, you're now working with artists over at Asylum like Common, like Gucci Mane, like Jill Scott, like Waka Flocka. Well, they weren't Common and Common and um, Jill Scott. We signed to Warner Brothers. Okay. I signed them to Warner properly, Brothers. Properly. Properly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because at so we had Asylum for a few years and then we became the urban division of Warner Brothers. OK. And that's when we signed um, Jill Scott, which was amazing. You know, we had a number one album with her. And, uh, you know, I love her. And uh, we did the Common album that No ID produced, right. uh, Dreamer Believer, which was which was also incredible. So you guys came in and you gave Warner that, that, that boost. Yeah. You you brought Warner back to life with regard to urban music. Yeah. They, yeah they've been, you know, they had some stuff before before we got there. They had a, a BME deal, you know, which was Little John, um, like Trillville, Little Scrappy. Right. Um, but not much. They 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 weren't booming. Um, we went there, you know, and uh, and did some great stuff. And then you bought the MMG deal. Over yeah, there. yeah, we did. We did the the partnership with Rick Ross. Um, Tell us know. about putting that together, man. I just I, I just saw the stars aligning with him. Like right. you know his his uh, his verses were just they were getting better and better. And you know the way he understands the game, the way like 
you know, he would he would put up roll out content and present it. And, you know, the artist he was collaborating with, it just seems like he, he was he was the he is, you know, he was and is the most culturally relevant. He's, you know, and then I heard I actually heard his verse on um, Dark Twisted Fantasy right. on 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 Devil in a New Dress. And I was like, as soon as I heard that verse, I was like, I was like, wow. Like, you know, I was always a fan of his and he's obviously had tons of great verses before and after that. But that verse just, I was like, wow. Like, I, I, I want to be in business with him. Yeah. So you would say that that on top of being a great artist. And oh, and I hit him on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. What that's, do you mean you hit him on Twitter? That's how I'm, I knew him, like, I met him because we were all, you know, kind of moving around, like. I was moving around with Mike Jones and Paul Wall right. before that and Lil Boosie. So, you know, you you see people at clubs and radio shows. So, you know, I knew Jeezy, hello and goodbye. I knew Ross, hello and goodbye. I knew Slim Thug, you know. But um, I, I didn't have a phone number on Ross. Right. So when I saw him talking, he started to talk about his label and I just felt it. And like I said, I heard that music and I I hit him on Twitter. Um, I read somewhere that you said not only is he a great artist, but he's a brilliant A&R. Yeah, the best. The best. Yeah, his he, ear is crazy. Crazy. Um, you also you also had a deal with um with Cameron. Absolutely, yeah, Asylum. Tell tell us about that deal. Yeah, we did when when Cameron left uh, uh Rockefeller, Def Jam. We signed uh we signed him to Asylum. We didn't sign him. I'm sorry, we signed his label. Right. Um, and we put out uh we put out Killer Season, and then Crime Pays, and uh, hit the movie. We put out the movie. What happened to that deal, man? It was great. Yeah, the deal was great. Okay. So how do you get pulled over to Def Jam? You're doing all this great stuff at Asylum. You basically build Asylum. Now you're making good money, and you you have a track record. I was doing... I loved um, I loved Warner Brothers. I loved uh, I loved the people I was working for. You know, I, I had um, I had found most of, you know, pretty much everyone on, on, on my staff at the time. And, you know, it's a family. You know, you, you have deep relationships with people because you're spending 12 hours a day in the oh, trenches yeah, yeah, with them yeah. and you're moving around the world together and you know it's it's they become you know brothers sisters cousins you know sometimes you love them sometimes you hate them but right. they're family and it you know when i got the call um about def jam that was a really hard decision for me um it was a really hard decision for me but when they offer you the presidency of def jam did that really come out of left field yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was humbled. Right, like, I was, I was, I was humbled. Now, now I remember at the time, man, that that Irv Gotti was really angling for that position. Any thoughts on why he wasn't tapped for that? I don't know. I mean, I know he had a long history. You know, uh, maybe they, maybe they were scared of Irv. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Irv is incredible. Yeah, Ir- Irv, mean, all, Irv also. You know, he, I, we spent a lot of time together. You know, him and him and Flex are, are were really good friends. You know, Irv also, he saw something in me. He told me, um, I remember him telling me in the studio, like, you know, he's like, you got talent. You got talent. And he, I'm sure he wouldn't even remember that. But that, I was like, wow, Irv got it. Coming from me, Irv. Yeah, that's... he just told me, he just, this guy signed DMX and Jay-Z and he just, and Ja Rule. And, and he, Ja Rule. He, he just told me I have talent. That's crazy. I think that, that put a lot of, that put a lot of, uh, a lot of battery on my back for a while. Did you have a conversation with him after you got tapped to, to run Def Jam? I didn't, no. Right. No. I'll okay. tell you, when, when when they did announce you as the president of Def Jam, you know, I remember seeing, like, you know, it was wild of how many people had opinions, you know. Um, what were those opinions? I mean, just just feel like, you know, 
from what I got was I felt like why Joey? There were so many other people that could have been picked. You know, um, well, I don't know if you've seen all the, you know, say, I don't know if you read comments or I'm sure, you know, I don't know. Some people I didn't do. pay attention to it. But I did you? I didn't care. I was like, I was like, yo, I get to work with <laughs> Kanye West and Rihanna and Rick Ross, you know, work on one of his albums and work with Jeezy and Two Chains was there and I knew what that was going to be. And Nas, I, I don't, I didn't care what anybody said. Yeah. But what makes me like, you couldn't tell me nothing that couldn't day. Couldn't tell you nothing. Who, who reached out to you? Or gave you support that, you know, maybe you didn't think of at that time? Um, a bunch of people did. A bu- You know, Ross obviously did. 2 Chains did. Russell did. I spent an incredible day with Russell. Which, spent, is, which, is, which is great. I spent an incredible day with Rick Rubin in Malibu. With Rick you know? Rubin. So you got these guys' blessings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I got, I don't want to speak for them and say I got their blessings. Right. I went and just sought their guidance. Right. You know? That's crazy. Listen, let's go to a station break. You're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, thecombatjackshow.com. We got Cheer. Joey Mann in the building, a.k.a. Joey I.E. Joey I.E. Yo, let's get this popping. Cheer. Yeah. Hey, yo, for real, some people do it real, some people do it fake. I'm going to tell you, it's the legendary DJ Marley Marl. Right now, listen to the Combat Jack Show, my motherfuckers. It's no, no holes barred in this bitch. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. We got Joey IE in the building. Joey, so we're talking about when you were Mr. Def Jam. Okay. You're at Def Jam and you and, and you're making things happen, man. You 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 bring Nas back to life with with Life is Good. I don't know if I brought Nas right. back to life. I, you know, uh But it happened on your watch. No right? no idea in Nas. Yeah, it happened on my watch. No idea Nas made an incredible album. Did you have any involvement with that at all? Um, not, not with the music, but, you know, uh, bringing it to market and rolling it out. Yeah. When you heard that album, man, what, what were you, what were you thinking? I just heard Daughters and I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he's the coolest dude in the world. Nice. Like, yeah. I mean, I knew him. I didn't, I knew him a little bit before I went to Def Jam. Maybe he probably didn't know me. Uh, but he's like, you know, there's, there's no cooler dude walking the earth. You also worked on, uh, 2 chains. Yes. How was that, man? Because Two Chains is one of my favorite. I mean, it was incredible. He was having his moment, you know. You know, he was having, you know, the he he. he it was incredible. It was incredible. What, what kind of cat is he, man? <laughs> he's funny. He's funny, and he's he's a really hard worker, man. Right. That guy's not going to stop working. Right. An- another record that happened during your time there was um was Channel Orange was uh, Frank Ocean Frank's album, yep. How was that, man? Because that was very controversial. I don't want to keep saying things are amazing or incredible, but that, yeah. that one was inspirational. Um, uh, Frank's courage and, and, you know, and not me, uh, uh, not just me, us being there as a company, Def Jam, right. to, you know, to, to stand, stand next to him, you know, when he had the courage to talk about, you know, what, what, what a lot of people would be scared to talk about. You know? Did you know he was going to come out? Uh, no, I didn't know. No, I didn't. He just know. did it on his own. He did it. Yeah, that was his choice. And when you heard, what was what was the response? Because usually, I would imagine in a corporate setting, in a record company setting, it's like, oh my god, we got to do damage control. Was it any of that? Uh, damage control? No, it was like, it was like, yeah, let's stand next to him. This is, you know, this is this is great. Right. You know, let's, you know, Def Jam's the company that made the, you know, Public Enemy and and you know, and License to Ill, and you know, they make the that company makes history. So. It was just another chapter, another an, at another point where Def Jam made history. 
Tell us about the Trinidad James deal, man. Like, like, who's who? Were you? He's you. He, he was signed when you were there as well. Yeah, he was signed. Yeah, I was. I was involved in that. We did. Um, you know, the the deal we did was for uh, Think It's a Game Entertainment, okay. and that's um, that's an entrepreneur in Atlanta uh, by the name of Fly, who has uh, Trinidad James, Rich Homie Quan, and another artist named Forte Bowie. Okay. So we did um, a label deal, a partnership with Fly. And Trinidad James was the first artist uh, under that deal. So, so it was kind of like an umbrella, uh, umbrella deal. It wasn't. It was a partnership. Him. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, how do you feel? It about- was. It was directly him too. Right. We, we wanted Trinidad. What was it about Trinidad? Because Trinidad is one of these artists that are controversial. I mean, you know, all, all gold, everything is a controversial record. It's a banger. All gold, all gold, everything is a great record. Right. Um, I think that when the deal happened. There was so much speculation because he, he came out of nowhere. It was overnight. There was so much speculation on how much money, you know, Def Jam had given him. Right. And, and you know, the stories that, that went around, and it became it became urban legend. It, it, it's not reality. Right, you know, of course. That, that wasn't the way it really went down. Right. Now, now let's get back. Let's, let's fast forward, man. Let, let's get back to what everybody wants to hear, man. What's going on, man? What's going on with Damon and you, man? There's nothing going on on... on on my side of right. it, you know, I think Dame, you know, he he put my picture up on Instagram a few times and said some some unkind things, um, which I was I was really surprised about. Um, but you know, I guess he he came up here for a few hours last week and talked about it, right? So what was it? What was your nature? With, what was the nature of your relationship with Dame? Um, I know Dame. Uh, huh. We we were never friends. Not to say we ever had a problem, but right. you know, we never hung out or anything like that. But I knew him. Uh, I knew him a little bit. The first time I actually met Dame, I booked. Uh, it was when when Ain't No was out. I booked Jay for a show. Okay, so he was and I had to him. go. I had to go. Uh, I think the office was down on um, John Street, right maybe? around here. Yeah, yeah, around here. And I had to go give Dame the deposit and sign the contract with him. And that's the first time I met him. I'm sure he would not remember that anyway. But you remember. Of course, I remember yeah, course. that. Yeah, I still have the contract somewhere. Right. I think it's it's in my mom's house. So, so what is fueling him? What do you think is fueling Damon to say some of these things about you? I I can't, you know, I I don't know what what goes on in you know anyone any anyone else's brains. So right. I don't know what's fueling him. Um, you know, I I don't agree with the 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 the, the things he says, but you know, it's for him to say. Right. This currency situation in, in in from your perspective what happened with the whole currency deal i can only speak to my part of yes. my relationship with currency right. i can't speak to dame's relationship with currency of course um and they obviously do have a relationship and to my knowledge it's a good relationship right. um i've never heard currency say a bad word about dame or dame obviously doesn't have a bad word to say about currency um i signed currency to warner brothers um one of our you know one of our A&R guys brought it in and and and, and i signed him and I was really excited to get in business with him. And he was not under contract with anyone. He had done uh, two mixtapes with uh, with Dame's label, you know, through Def Jam. And, you know, his his attorney and he, you know, I, I met with Currency. It wasn't like I was just talking to a manager or an attorney. You know, I spent time with him. You right. spent time with an artist before you signed them. And he, you know, really wanted to do the deal. I really wanted to do a deal with him. And we did the deal. And there was no indication that, he had any uh, obligations with Dame or that there was any type of tortious interference with Dame's relationship? A- absolutely not. I heard about it. Right. Um, you know, maybe years later, I'm, I'm not great with timelines, but right. I heard about it later. I've never been, 
involved in any kind of litigation about it. I think Dame, I heard about it because I think Dame served Warner Brothers. Right. Um, I've never been involved in any litigation. I've actually never been involved with any litigation in my life. I probably shouldn't say that. I should probably knock on knock wood. Knock on wood, man. But I've never been involved. So in he anything. didn't he didn't bring you personally into the in, into this into his lawsuits. No, I, no, right. I have I have no lawsuits. So basically. You know, contrary to what Dame is saying, you never got involved in terms of like breaking up any type of business relationship with Currency and Damon. No. So where's what do you think this is coming from? man? Once again, again I can't I can't speak to that. Right. I don't know. You know, I don't know what their conversations were. I don't know what that situation. I, you know, if they had an understanding or an agreement that I wasn't part of that. Right. I know that I met an artist that, you know, he also was signed to to Young Money before uh, he did the, the projects with Dame. You know, I I liked him. He's a great artist. Um, again, I met with him and his manager and his attorney a few times, and we decided to do a deal together. Right. Now, Dame was saying that, you know, based on their relationship, they had a partnership. And he feels that the deal that Currency entered with, you know, into with, with, with you guys was a deal that really, was, a, was it a 360 deal? And I don't want to get into his pockets, but. I honestly don't remember. Right. It, there probably was um, 360, and 360 is a very broad term. Right. That can mean a whole bunch of different things. It can mean merchandise. It can it mean can tour mean money. Publishing, it can mean publishing, merchandising, right. touring. But, you know, that's that's a label supposed to put in, um, is supposed to help finance those other activities and, and help you build your touring business or right. your publishing, you know, to, to participate. I don't actually remember our deal with Currency. And it's and I'm not saying that because I don't want to say what it is, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. It probably did have some of those elements. I'm just saying that I don't know if it did or it didn't, but I'm guessing that it probably did because we were trying to do deals like that with everyone at that time. Damon also said something about his relationship with Max B and and Jim Jones. And what is your recollection of what occurred with Max B? When we when uh, when we had Asylum, we did a. a label deal uh, with Jim Jones for Bird Gang Records. Right. Jim was also an executive at the Warner Music Group. Right. Kevin Lyles, who was um, who was at Warner Music, you know, in in the center of the company, um, believed in Jim. We believed in Jim. We gave him a label. He was a, also an executive at the company um, and did A and R work, you know, for the for the music group. Um, he had Max B was signed to him. Um, they fell out um, for whatever reason. Not my business. Um, and Dame was, he wasn't managing Jim, but he was around Jim at that time. Um, and Max and Jim, you know, obviously were, were involved in this, in this beef, which, you know, was not good. And And it had some other, it was not good for business, was not good for safety. It was not good for anything. Right. And, you know, uh, another person I knew. Um, contact was contacting me a lot on behalf of Max, right? And saying, "Yo, I wanna, I wanna fix this. You know, I wanna either, you know, get Max um, to move on out of the deal, or I wanna fix the thing with him and Jim, blah blah." blah. So, you know, I wanna talk to Dame, and I mentioned it to Dame a few times, and you know, these are guys that know each other, and I don't wanna say, you know, uh, any say names. any names or right. get into it like that because it was it was years ago, and it's you know, it's not really necessary uh, or important for the story. I I gave this person Dame's number and I gave him his number because I wanted the situation to get fixed. Right. And, you know, Dame's a businessman. I knew this other guy. I knew his intentions were good. I believe they are. Um, And I wanted them to speak. 
and Dane wasn't happy about it. Right. And he called me and he said, did you give this guy my number? And I said, yes. And he said, he, I don't remember what he said, but he wasn't happy about that. And I apologized. I right. said, I'm sorry. Maybe, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have gave him your number. I, I apologize for that. But this is getting crazy. You know, there's people in the office nervous about the situation. You know, you're seeing things online, you know, and you don't want the situation to escalate. So that was me. Um, that was me trying to do something positive in the situation. Right. And yeah, and, and, and you can't control situations like you can't control street guys. You can't control situations. I like didn't that. know. You know, I I didn't know Max that well. I knew Max through Jimmy. Right. Jimmy was my partner. But also, too, you know, um, I mean, you've been around uh, a lot. If you weren't from the street, you've been around a lot of street things. The only thing that I could see is that, you know, even the era I believe we grew up in, sometimes like a phone call to somebody in that case means a lot. Like, meaning like I'm come from the era where I don't give somebody's phone number unless I ask that person first. Yeah. And I'm not accusing you of anything. No, no, just, no, no, no. I'm, By the way, that's why I apologize to him. Yeah. But I, I, we weren't in the street. Right. I wasn't no, in the street. Right. I, I, and then Dane wasn't in the street, you know, and I, I, I didn't want it to have a street outcome. Right. So what you're saying is right. And, you know. I didn't say what you said, too. I, I, I got to clear I, my I, head from thinking of Oni Street, too. And hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about Damon labeling you a culture vulture? <laughs> I yeah I don't really I don't care right you know I mean hey wh why am I a culture vulture what separates me from every other kid that grew up loving the music and the sneakers and the you know and and the jeans and the shirt Polo. And, the, and the and the clubs what 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 changed why am I different right I mean based on the based on your history and your legacy you you're very clear in terms of you know, how you were doing this thing for free and how you committed to this thing for free and you were doing it out of passion. So you, you were influenced by the culture. Not influenced. I was, I was in a trance. Right. The, the, hip hop was everything to me. Like, I didn't care about anything else. What made you, what made you decide to, to reach out and want to speak out about this? Because you, you, you're not usually on a public forum. Because, you know... I don't want to react to anything that Dame or any any anyone has um, to say about me because again, you know, uh, I'm a I'm, I'm a businessman and I'm not an artist or a public figure or anything like that. But you know, I maybe I, I figured, hey, I should tell a little bit. You know, when you and I spoke, and you were like, you don't have to say anything, but tell people who you are and right. what your story is. And I said, I'll tell my story one time. Have you spoken to Dame since? He no. What would you tell him? What would the conversation be? I can't call it. You know, Dame Dame's, Dame has jokes and he's really funny. So right. I don't know how the conversation would go. Right. You know, I don't know if he would, you know, I don't know what he would say. But what would you say? I would say, what up, Dame? And just keep going would about, about my business. questions about why he's going off, though? Nah, prob would, you no, probably to, not. You don't want to know? I, see, I'm the type of person, if no, somebody says I, something I honestly, you know, I, I don't. No, I don't, I don't, I don't really care, you well, know, and it's, and it's not, I'm not saying I don't care because I don't respect what he has to say. Right. I just don't care. Like I, I'm, that's not what I'm, that's not what motivates me. Right. You know, Dame also said that, you know, he felt that, um, flex came to your defense because he was tapped to come to your defense. What, what do you feel about that? What, what is that? I didn't speak to flex right. before flex said what he said. Right. I spoke to him after that. 
And I said, thank you, but you don't need to do that. Right. It's all good. Again, I'm not, I'm not sweating it. And he said, and he said what he said to me. Um, and then, you know, we kind of laughed and kept it moving. It, it's not, I don't think it was that deep to him and it's definitely not that deep to me. He's a great friend and he's been a great mentor in my life. And, you know, it definitely, it definitely made me feel like, wow, you know, even though, cause we don't, we don't speak every day. Right. You know, sometimes we go a few months without talking. Right. Some, but then sometimes we'll speak every day. You know, it's like one of your close friends, family members. You'd be like, we talk either, you know, we could talk 17 times a day or not for three months and it's the same conversation. Sure. That's the relationship we have. And, um, you know, I'm like, I was like, wow, this, you know. This, Flex is that, dropping bombs for me. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing that the guy has my back like that. Right. You know, I it, it makes you feel, you know, it made me feel good. Right. You know, how do you feel, man? And, and I think we talked about this off air you know but we're in a really criti- i feel we're in a really critical time when it comes to urban music when it comes to black music i think right now when it comes to music you know what seems to get promoted by the labels you know are not the most positive records that are out there you're in, you're at Interscope right now yes you know there's a war going on in chicago like 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 black bodies are dropping weekly by the tens by the you know what i'm saying by the hundreds yes and you have a chief key and so a war is going on, and people can arguably say that you're promoting war music. Like, what do you, what do you, where's the kind of, like, what do you think about accountability? Well, listen, I mean, this, this, what, what's going on in Chicago and whatever, you know, I'm sure it's happening in other cities too, maybe not on the level of Chicago, but the violence, you know, and, 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 you know, violence, you know, happening to youth is, is awful. Right. And, you know, freedom of speech, I, you know, is important and you want, you know, you want young artists to say what they want to say and what they experience. Um, but you want to, you know, I, I think it's about a balance. You want to promote positive music yes, also, right. you know, and, and you never want to, you never want to consciously, you, you never want to make, make money off, off, um, off artists talking about like, like you saying war, you know, war music or whatever, but you also don't want to, you know, you don't want to try to try to silence them either. Right. You know, so I met with an artist yesterday um, from Chicago and she told me that, you know, she she's doing um, a, a stop the violence party. Mm. And I was like, wow. You know, and it was our she's she's not signed to to the label. But she you know, we talked about it and I was like, that's amazing. You know, I, I want to help with that. Right. But but when it comes to, you know, finding music, when it comes to, you know, grooming artists. Do you feel there's a sense of responsibility? Like, I understand that you don't want to censor music, and censorship is a touchy subject. But when you see that the music that's being put out has such a direct effect to the people that listen to it, like, personally, you came up in this game. You, you've you seen the pros and the cons, and you've seen balance. Like, what do you feel your sense of responsibility is? My sense of uh, responsibility is to, you know, is to put out, Make sure that that the that records with uh with the positive message, right? You know, like the 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 common album, you know, the, the last common album that I worked on, uh, that those see the light of day and get right. the proper promotion. Cause you're right, you know, people will only, you know, if 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 the records, you know, if the records that that focus on violence or what's going on in the street, you know, if those are the easiest to hit. Those are those are probably going to get the most attention. I mean, yeah, that's you have to the- make sure you give the other records the attention right. too. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, because cause I think what's happening right now is, you know, it's low-hanging fruit. It's, it's easy to find these records that, 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 
you put in the streets and it's going to move. Yeah, we just, you know, at Interscope, we we just did a partnership with J. Cole for Dreamville Records. Okay. And, you know, I think Cole is an example of, a, you know, a young artist who, who you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say he's, um, I mean, he's positive. I don't want to say, po- you know, I don't want to say he's only, po- you know, he only talks about positive but stuff. But he, he, there is a balance but to, there's to balance Cole's with presence him. in the game. Yeah. And, and we just did a partnership with him for his label. And I think that's the balance. Right. You know, one of the ideas that I have is because you guys are so powerful, you guys really are powerful. You might not think you yourself individually, you know, as a powerful person, but in the seat that you sit in, it's a powerful, it's a powerful role. I mean, do you ever think of like putting out like research groups or like just just really actively saying, you know what, instead of acts coming to us, let's start looking for what's out there that that people fuck with. That could really change the tide of what's going on. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I, I don't hire research groups to do right. it, but you look everywhere. I mean, now, you know, now when you're online, that's that stuff's all there. Right. You know, you, you look at, you know, a bunch of SoundClouds every day. You know, you look at a bunch of people's Instagrams and that leads you to somebody else's Instagram. And, you know, you, you, you see everything going on. I think I think right now all music is getting a fair shot. Right. Because it's not it used to be where, you know, uh, the the records had to come the the songs had to come through a record label to go yeah. to radio and they would have to you know go through this whole machine you know you're you're familiar with that yes. that doesn't exist anymore it was it was a, it was a higher filtering process yeah there's no one that stands in the way of an artist and their fans so whatever that artist message is that's going to get to the fan right you know record labels and radio and gatekeepers and big bloggers and you know they can get involved and 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 raise the the you know put the spotlight on it and raise the attention but you know the the artists are there, and they they can start that message. You know, I had an off air uh, conversation with somebody that really studies radio, and they work with radio, and they were commenting on what's going on with you know Hot ninety seven and, and with Chuck D, and they were saying that you know there's basically three parties that are responsible for what's going on right now. It's definitely the corporations, it's definitely the record labels, it's definitely the um, radio stations, it's definitely the audience, and it's definitely the artists. What do you say to artists out there that 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 want to make a difference? Like, what do you say to them, like, so that they can be speak, so that so speak, that you can start speak to you, speak to your reality? And right. if you have a positive message, don't be scared of that. I've never in my life told a hip hop artist what to go into a booth and say on a song. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I I am the record label, right. and I've never done that. You know, so if if you have a message, if you have if you have something to say and it happens, it's not like I'm saying because, you know, and it never happens. It happens. But, you know, new artists should not be scared of that. Right. What do you I think, think new artists want to be successful. So if they hear a certain record or they see something working, you know, they want to they want to go that path because it, it maybe it seems like the path of least resistance. But the biggest payoff is the Kanye West or the J. Cole where, you know, where, where you do something important and everyone comes to you. How do you spike that though? How do you personally? How, how do you personally spike a movement in the needle? Like, how do you spike a change in the direction? Like, do you like? How do you encourage more artists to be brave? And you just said it, but beyond that, how do you really impact what's going on? Again, you make sure that the the artists that are that are that have um, a positive message or an important message. I don't want to just say positive message because right. sometimes that comes off as corny. Yeah, and, and you, but artists that aren't just talking about you know um, violence or drugs or you know whatever, 
that artists that are talking about other stuff that they get that that they get that attention right that they you know that we put our resources into them just as much what do you do man when you know there is community outrage and 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 i understand you guys have been under fire particularly because of what's going on in chicago what do you guys do when there's outrage and you hear like people are upset like times are kind of weird now because you people are talking people are very vocal about what's going on that's by the way that's a great thing right that's an important thing. But how do you guys respond? Do you listen to we what have, they're saying? Yeah, we have conversations like this. Right. I'll have a conversation about this anytime. Right. Has there ever been a point where you guys sat down and said, you know what? This artist is really, we don't want to censor anybody, but this artist is really not a good look for us morally, you know, just in terms of what's going on, in terms of like image-wise, it's not a good look. Do you guys have those conversations? Yeah. You know, sometimes you have those conversations, but again, that's a really... That's a really thin line between, you know, because you, you, you don't want to you don't want to censor somebody. You, you you want them to 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 speak to their reality and what's you know, and what's going on. Maybe you try to encourage them to talk about two sides of their reality. Right. Um, Do you guys have these conversations with an artist? I, like, yes. I like have. Chief Keith, have you said Chief? I have again. Like, you know, I know I just said a few minutes ago, right. I've never told anyone to go in a booth uh, and, and, and talk about something. Right. But, you know, you try to do it subtly. I don't. I I've met Chief Keef. He was signed before I got to Interscope. Right. I don't. I haven't worked with him um, directly, but he is on the label. But yeah, that you know, I've had those conversations with people. What other artists are you listening to right now that 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 you feel bring a different sense of balance? Be, besides J Cole or somebody that you know. And I I mean I know it's kind of hard to name. Artists I think that you, you know I've sign. I've heard the record that Common's working on. Right. I think I think he always does that. You know, I think Kendrick Lamar does that. Yeah. You know, I think Kendrick Lamar, the way he told his his uh, his story about, you know, about where he came from without without saying, you know, I do this and that. I think that I think that that was incredible. And I think a lot of, you know, I think that that was important, important moment. You know, this is another sensitive question, man. But, you know, when you look at, you know, the complexion of executives right now in the game, and it's not a black or white thing, but it seems that, you know, traditionally and what's happening right now is that you see a lot of white executives being groomed to become the successes of the industry. And you don't really see that many black faces being groomed to be successes of the industry. Would you agree or not? Um, I, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I agree or not. I think it's important. And I've always been cognizant of, um, of grooming executives, you know, white and black, right. but it, but it's really important that black executives succeed in urban music. It's it's really important because you know urban music is 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 black culture. Yes. That's that's what that's where it I'm, came I'm from. glad you said that. I'm always cognizant of right. that. That's what it is. But is that happening? Yeah, I mean, listen, I've I've groomed a bunch of executives that you know that came from interns, assistants to vice presidents, senior vice presidents, you know, and and they're working throughout the industry. When all is said and done, man, what do you want to be said about your legacy? Beyond the hits, beyond the successes, what do you want to what do you want to be said about you and your legacy and what you brought to the game? You know, every I think every every record executive, every label executive wants to be considered a, a real record a real record man. Right. Somebody that really stood up for artists, really took a stand, um, you know, really brought incredible music um to the market. And also, you know, it's also about the the who you mentor. I was mentored by some incredible people. Right. And I, you know, 
I've mentored and I'm mentoring some incredible people, more incredible than me, right? better than me. Um, you know, and I think that I just want to be remembered for doing those things. And once again, the complexion of the music, it seems like, you know, I used to joke last year and I used to say that rap music is becoming no country for black men. Because when you look at, you know, the Grammys, when you look at, you know, last year was the first time in the history of the Grammys that, you know, a black artist didn't win a Grammy. Like what? what do that you, was weak. That's yeah. weak. Why? Why is that going on right now? I, you know, I, I'm not involved in that much in the Grammy stuff. Right. I don't, you know, I don't, I've actually, I'm not involved at all besides going to the Grammys. Right. Um, but yeah, that that's important that 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 black artists get recognized. I mean, especially in the in the in the rap and R and B categories. Yeah, it's crazy. That has to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and I kind of have a thick skin. I've been around for a while, so I know. I don't want to say the Grammys are bullshit, but you kind of expect what goes around you know, always comes back around. So, you know, history always repeats itself. But to, to sit watching the Grammys and my sons who are teenagers say, did this really just happen? But hasn't rap always had this relationship with the Grammys? Rap has always had this relationship, but it's the first time. Like, even when rap was being shut out, you still had the Michael Jacksons. You still had the yeah. Princes. You but you saying? remember people boycotted the Grammys. Yes. You remember rap boycotted the Grammys. Yes. You know, it's it, but I totally agree with you. So are you saying then that 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 we need to bring the power back to the people and we need to start boycotting? Hey, listen, Shit. don't get me in trouble. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you. Don't in get trouble. me in trouble. But it's important. It's important. <laughs> it's important that right. it's important that it that it be right. Right. It's important that it be right. And I'll do I'll do whatever, you know, whatever I need to do to help with that. So you're open. You're open. Absolutely. If anybody has a, a rational yes. solution that that doesn't sound as backwards. Yes. You will talk to them and you will try to figure this shit out. Yes. I'm married. I'm married. Yeah. I have to, I have to have that mindset. <laughs> In multiple ways he's married. Last I, go ahead, Pete. No, I I what I what I definitely want to uh, find out and I think people would definitely want to know, especially like artists, having an executive like yourself here. You know, we move past the days, even though it's still around sometimes, of, of giving a CD, people giving CDs out. You know, now you just talk on Twitter and people hit you with the uh, links. You can't get a conversation with somebody. No. You know, what do you guys look for in an artist these days? Because you mentioned it's all out on the internet, so obviously people, you know, in, in the you know, label are looking around and hearing things and seeing things. And you know, is it folk? Because a lot of people sometimes say like YouTube views or following or traction. No, there's no. I think people always look for that. They always ask me artists, even people that aren't in the in the business, ask me like, how do you find these artists? Do they get a million YouTube views or do they? Does this song play on the radio a certain number of times? You know, it's it's all about, you know, making great songs and then getting it on your SoundCloud and, you know, uh, sending it to people within reason, <laughs> you know, getting it to the to the bloggers. And, you know, the, the bloggers are out there looking for great new artists, right. you know, and so are, and so are radio DJs and so are label executives, you know, um, try to shoot visuals. You know, that that's that's easier for for a lot of people to do now than it, than it always was. It doesn't cost a lot to shoot a video. You know, you talk about these videos. Yeah, the cost of entry right now is is really the low. The barrier is really low, which is an incredible thing. But I would have... It does not... It used to cost $2,000 a day to go into a recording studio. Right. Shooting a video, that was even... I mean, even signed artists couldn't get their video shot. Right. Now you can do all that in your house. Like, that's... Inc take advantage of that. Are you getting in it? But, but the... The flip side is there's too much shit out there right the, now, Joe. The good shit always cuts through. Does it always cut through? There's so much shit out there. The good man. shit mostly always cuts through. Right. I mean, get your get the right team and get the right help, but yeah, it cuts through. 
What's going on with detox, man? What's going on with detox, Joey? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Can't they put that shit with the with the Beats Apple collabo right now? I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. You have you you have no access to that, man. No, no, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I think Dre's been preoccupied with something else. Yeah, he's been preoccupied. But can, is it is is there a glimmer of hope that we might get detox? During my lifetime, I'm getting I'm getting to be an old man. Joey. I mean, the thing I think the day Dre feels like it. I mean, I've never spoken to him about right. it directly, but I think the day he feels like it, he'll do it, and I'm sure it will be incredible. Okay, close off, man, with a statement. Like, give give my audience a statement. There's a lot going on right now, and and you're privy to a lot. You're under a lot of fire, but but give my audience. Am I under a lot of fire? Well, I mean, you know, publicly, like it's been kind of hot, which mm. which is why I would imagine you're here. But give our audience a statement, man. Like, give us the, give them a closing statement. About? About whatever. Leave your fingerprint on this show, Joey. <laughs> I, I think I said everything in, in the interview, okay. you know? Okay. Stay humble, stay working is the only, Stay you know. humble and stay working. <laughs> yeah, that's what go. it is. Stay foolish. There you go. Well, Joey, man, thank you for coming to the Combat Jack Show, man. You know, I think, you know, our audience is definitely going to appreciate this. They're going to definitely appreciate your history. And I think, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to clear up what's going on, but at least... I didn't to... come here to clear anything up. I just came here to tell my story. Right. Everyone can, you know, everyone can decide how they feel about whatever. I don't, you know, I'm cool. No, that's good. Man. No, it was a good story. I mean, listen, it, it, it's good, you know, first of all, uh, to see somebody from my neighborhood come up the way he did. And I spoke to you about this combat uh, warfare, but even to see particularly a, a, a white guy in that neighborhood... Um, who I'm sure had to fence off a lot of people making comments or things, you know, or, or not understanding what he understood or his vision, you know, and, and where you have made it today is, is definitely an inspiration for a lot of people, man. And, Thank and, you. I appreciate you, you know, saying that. Yeah. How do you like the West Coast? I love it. You know, I got to get back to New York every 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 few weeks to get this vibe, though. Yeah. The West Coast is incredible. It's paradise, yeah. but you got to get this New York vibe. You can never lose it. Yeah. A lot of people are weird out there, though, right? The West Coast? <laughs> A lot of people are weird everywhere. That's true, but it's, it's funny. Whenever I go to the West Coast and I spend more than like a week there, it's like, I, I, gotta I don't come, know how people get work there. I, I got to come back to New York, man. I got to come back to New York. But anyway, once again, Joey, man, thank you. Internet's Joey I.E. Listen, you know what it is. You know, it's the Combat Jack Show. So are you my attorney now officially? No, or? no, 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 no. Why is that? Why is every time <laughs> I talk to some Envy tried to hire me as his attorney? Yeah. I don't I don't do that shit anymore. <laughs> I have, you know who, do you, you fuck with James McMillan. Of course. You know James McMillan was the person. That inspired me to do this because he had so much passion as an attorney, and I didn't. I have, heard you say that. Yeah, I heard yeah. You say that I don't have a passion for that. I'm dead with that, and you know, what I'm saying, and, and I made great money, and you know, I'm sure I could do deals, and I was good, but I, I, I don't want to do that shit anymore, man. I want to make money doing this. You forgot about the little people. It's crazy. I didn't feel what. You gonna be a popping shit, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> you in Hollywood? No, I'm not Hollywood, man. We we started. At I'm gonna the... see you moving around L.A. No, 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 no. We started at the bottom, and we're still here, Joey. <laughs> this is a podcast. Yeah. This is not a radio show. We don't get advertising dollars like that. We need. We, we don't have commercials. We, we need a collaboration, Interscope Combat Jack Show. Maybe, maybe. But listen, you gotta stay neutral, though. I, I, I'm. I'm st- you am, can I, never be labeled. Am affiliated. I doing a good job? Staying? Absolutely, absolutely. Then you're what you're doing is perfect. Him, I seen him uh, on Twitter uh, with the. Rosenblum episode. I seen that you said something that you liked it or something like that. Yeah, I mean, to hear her tell her story is incredible. Yeah, she's great, man. So listen, internets. Once again, man, thank you, thank you, Joey. You know what it is, man. Dream those dreams, man up and live those dreams. Because a life without dreams is black and white, and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. 
F your radio, F your podcast, F your TV TV show. Numenati! Internets, this episode of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by the Loudspeakers Network. It's produced by Jonathan Mena. It's engineered by Samir Karam, executive producer Chris Morrow, and we tape exclusively out of the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. Yeah.